Okay, friends, I'm going to invite you to return to your seats. We're going to get going. I have several announcements, all of them important. Okay. Um, it's been a while since I've given this reminder, but we as a church fast every Thursday. Some people give up coffee. Some people give up lunch. Some people give up everything but water for the whole day. Some people break that fast with their, uh, around the dinner table with their, their people. Some, some do theirs differently. But whatever it is, I encourage you to revisit and reinvest in this practice if that has not been something that you are a part of. We fast specifically for our church. Would you please um, renew that, that commitment to, to praying for our church and for fasting as part of it? That fasting is, like, um, among other things, it, it, what, it expresses dependency, but it, it's, um, it, it's a, a, almost like a physical prayer. Just like bowing is another way of offering a, a, a form of worship to God. Fasting is, is, a, is, is taking words, but making them come out of your body in a way as you express your dependence on God moment by moment throughout the day. And then we, we, we call out to him and we say, Lord, will you please be at work among this church? Will you please protect this church? Will you please um, have your ministry go forward? And would you please include the Dream Center? with that. Uh, as I remind you, Jeremiah says that when God sends them into exile, um, they are to pray for the city that they are in because in their peace, in that city's peace, you will find your peace. In their wholeness and their healing, you will find your wholeness and your healing. And I, I reminded um, our, our council this week as we were talking about fasting, I just put this in an email and said there, there's this portion in Daniel where, where Daniel enters into this 21-day fast. He's praying um, for, for his people and for breakthrough in, in what they are going through. And an angel shows up in response after 21 days and says, Daniel, from the first day that you set your heart to humble, the, humble yourself before the Lord and enter into this. So day one of your fast, Daniel, your words were heard and I was sent in response. And then he goes on to say, but I was opposed by the enemy for 21 days. The same length of time Daniel was in his fasting and praying. In other words, God responded right away and answered the prayer right away. But Daniel receiving that answer took his ongoing fasting and prayer for that to come through. So would you enter into that for the other people in this room? On Thursdays, we also do the inquiring of the Lord, where, where we get together online and we have a listening prayer time. And what we have been doing is taking a portion of Scripture, reading it, and then saying, Lord, what do you want to say about this? And we enter, after having read his word, we enter into a time of asking him to bring out something from his word that we need to hear. We're going through Esther right now. I would invite you to be a part of that, even if you have not been before. Okay? God speaks to his people. It is a corporate prayer time. After we have read the scriptures, listened for a period of time, we then not only share what we, we think we might have been hearing, but then we pray into what has been shared. What has God shared with us, and how do we partner with that and respond to it in prayer? 
This, this is crucial for us as a church. And so I would encourage you to be part of that. And, and so make Thursday a day of prayer, a day of fasting, a day of seeking the Lord, not only for ourselves, but for the others in the room. We are changing the time of the inquiring from 7 o'clock down to 6.30. It's one hour, so it'll be 6.30 to 7.30. There will be a new link going out this week in that weekly email. Um, so log on at 6.30, use that new link that Christina will send out in the weekly email, and join us as we, we gather around the scriptures and we gather around the Lord to listen to what he wants to say and do our best to respond I'm also changing Zoom accounts, and so there is going to be, for men's morning prayer, it's, I believe it's 6.30 um, on Monday mornings. That, that prayer time will continue as it is. Um, however, there is going to be a new link being provided. It won't be ready for tomorrow, um, but it will be in the weeks ahead, and I'll make sure that the men find out about that, okay, so they can continue to enter in prayer together and support one another every Monday morning at 6.30. Wes Arthur is in the hospital and has been in the hospital for the past week with complications related to his kidneys and dialysis. And there's a, a big infection that is infecting um, his, his bowels, his, his abdomen. And then um, there's a very serious um, possibility that it has infected like the, the catheter line that has been installed uh, in him to help him do the, the dialysis. And so this is really serious. He's been there for the last week or so. And so what I want to do is pause for a moment and ask you to intercede on behalf of our brother and for the family. Okay, so let's pray that the infection is taken away, that that line it, there's, there's a chance that the infection is actually not only in the abdomen, but the line itself, and that would f create m many further complications, okay? So could we, could we pray for our brother at this time? Um, you don't necessarily need to pray out loud, but I'm going to offer you a space to intercede for our brother. Let's take a moment. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers as we, as we remind you of a brother in need. Would you please grant healing and quick and speedy recovery to Wes's body? I pray against infection in his abdomen, in his bowels, and in the, that line itself, that you would remove all infection, that you would restore the things that have been damaged the things that have been um, infected, influenced in, in some way by something that shouldn't be there. So infection be gone in Jesus' name. Bring your wholeness, bring life, bring renewal. I pray that, that Wes would notice a dramatic shift in his health for the better because you intervene, because you listened to your people's cries for a brother in need. And Lord, would you provide for the family as they have ongoing concerns for a husband, for a dad, in circles beyond. Lord, have your way. Be provider for them. Be comforter to them. The things that Jesus had in mind when he promised a comforter who would be better than Jesus beside them. I, I pray that and I claim that for our brother 
and our sisters, for James and Ruby and Abigail and Isaiah, for Shelley and beyond. Lord, have your way in this family. Restore Wes to full health, please. There are others we care about who come to mind when we pray for health needs. We take a moment and remind you of them now. Lord, we love you. We are here out of love for you. We are here because in some way or another, you have touched and intervened. You have invited, you have spoken. You have been at work and we've seen glimpses. We've heard your voice. We've, we've recognized your work or your fingerprints. We've looked back in retrospect and, and seen, oh, that was the Lord. And so we come hungry. We come aware of our needs. We come trusting you. We love your word because we love you. And, and we look to your word to point us to you. Lord, would you point us forward? Would you equip your people? Would you make us those who have hearts that respond in the ways that you want us to respond as you speak and as you work? Lord, would you open our minds, open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts that we might receive well, that we might steward well, that you would make us more like Jesus so, Lord, this morning, we, we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Lord, may we follow his footsteps well. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you grab your Bibles, please? Uh, we're going to start in John 5 and then move to John 10. Welcome back to Bible study. Uh, we, we did Bible study, not sermon, two weeks ago, and, and we're following up with that. Um, about a month ago, I gave you um, this handout saying this was recap of where we've been in John, and it's in preparation for what is the he- ahead. And today is uh, our last Sunday of recap as we go over a, a part of that handout and the questions that I had given um, that is especially important for the the preparation for what's ahead in John and what's ahead in this congregation and what's ahead in life for us. And I don't mean 30 years down the road, right? One of, as I have begun um, intentionally spending time trying to listen for what the Lord is saying, one of the most frequent things that I hear from the Lord it's basically like this. I'm coming. Get ready. Get my people ready. And I have moments, and I had one this morning where it just hit me. I can't get your people ready. I am, I am inadequate for this task. And there, there are times where you hear from the Lord and there's a burden there that's hard to express. And then it, then it comes out wrong. And sometimes the Lord needs to remind me, your job is to point, not convince. So I'm going to do my best to, to point without trying to convince today. Although I'll probably relapse into that. <laughs> um, 
it's so funny. I spent so much time going to school to learn how to argue from the scriptures. And it was born out of deep inadequacy, actually, and deep idolatry in the process. Nevertheless, we want to see God's truth in his word, right? So I, I hope that we will have eyes to see and ears to hear what's in his word. We're going to go to John 5 and look at verses 16 to 20. This is a review of stuff we did two weeks ago. I think it was two weeks ago. Um, but I want to I draw one point in more detail and then draw out something similar in John 10. A couple of weeks ago, I, I made the point that um, you should fire your doctor if he only gives you good news. And that, that is part of showing up here um, week after week. Yeah, this thought just came to mind. I'm going to share it. Do you realize that you being here is spiritual protection? There's this, uh, someone pointed that, um, the mentoring that I'm in right now, someone pointed it out this week. In, in 1 Corinthians, I believe it's 5, um, Paul looks out at the congregation he's writing to in a sense, and he says, I'm with you in spirit. Put, put out of you, excommunicate, kick out the person that I have already judged. I have, you need to hand them over to Satan so that they will be saved as they, they um, go through what's going to happen as a result of their behavior. Put them out. I have handed them over. Implies that there is spiritual protection for you by remaining among and participating in the life of the gathered community that gathers around the name of Jesus in worship and says, we follow. You, you put yourself at great risk to be here irregularly. And that's not a self-serving word. That is because I love you and I, I do not want to see you fall. So good doctors give bad news sometimes. And Jesus was a very good doctor, the, despite the fact that gentle Jesus, meek and mild, is sort of like the one that we, we, uh, we snuggle up to. And that's cool. And that is that, that intimate and caring relationship is certainly part of it. But then as we are there and in that posture, there are some things that we need to hear that... Um, are preparing us for harder times. John 5, 15 to 20, 16 to 20. I went to Luke, so hold on one second. This is after the man has just been healed. He'd been around this pool waiting for 38 years for his healing, and Jesus shows up on the Sabbath, which is a very important detail, and heals this man. And we're going to remind ourselves of how Jesus gets there and why he does what he does. Verse 16. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, my father is working until now, so I, I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were, and when it says the Jews, it, it's typically talking about the authorities, since Jesus and all of his followers were Jewish. So it's drawing a distinction. 
For this reason, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, Jesus, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing on his own unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in the same way. So welcome to Bible study. How did this guy get healed? Bible study means interaction. I hope. I I realized Jesus spoke and told him to pick up his mat and go home. But what got Jesus to that point? How was he healed? It was the Father's will. Yep. Faith. Yep. But specifically from those verses. So you're starting to touch on it. It's the Father's will. What else? What did you see in the verses? He listened to his Father and he did what he was told. And there's even more that's very much related to that. Pardon me? He wanted to be healed. Yep. But, but as far as like listening to the Father goes, there's another piece to it that's very closely related to that right in those verses. He saw what the Father was doing. He saw what the Father was doing on the Sabbath. So Jesus goes and does likewise because he has been listening to God's voice and he's been paying attention to what the Father has been doing. The Father sends Jesus to heal a guy on the Sabbath, in front of people who are going to see that. So is it an overstep to say that God picks a fight? It's not an overstep. I saw one person shaking their head. No, it is not an overstep. It's not going too far to say God picks a fight. Why? Why do you think? To show the, what the heart of a man is. Yeah. Flesh that out a little bit more. Not just you, but whomever that, as you're, you're seeing that. Yeah? Mm-hmm. It exposed idols, Sarah just said. Interesting. Conflict exposes things. Other ideas? Other suggestions for why God picks a fight? He could have waited. He chose not to. Why? Let me suggest to you that God does not tiptoe around evil, including the evil that people have emotionally bonded to and call it religion. God picks a fight. All right, let's go to John 10. I'm going to read this whole chapter. I'm going to read it from the NIV. I'm actually going to start with uh, the last two verses of John 9 because those are actually what set the stage for Jesus' long speech. John 9, you will remember, is where Jesus heals a man who has been blind from birth. And once again, the the Pharisees are upset about it. So um, John 9, 40 says, those who were with him, with Jesus, from the Pharisees, heard the things that he was saying and said to him, we're not blind too, are we? See, Jesus has just implied that they are blind. And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. 
But now that you say, we see your sin remains. Now, go on to chapter 10. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through, through me, uh, excuse me, whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand does not know the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters them. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and they shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. Or I, excuse me, I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. This is crucial. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. He's insane. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the, the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade, the Jews who were there gathered around him. Um, it, the, say, the, the Greek here is actually like surrounded him, like he was encircled. It was sort of like a trap, not simply, oh, we're just going to sort of huddle up and have a chat. It, it's a little more, um, it's darker than that. They gathered around him. They surrounded him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you but you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me. In other words, they're the things that tell. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works of the Father. For which of these do you stone me? Well, we're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. 
Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I have said you are gods. That's a quote. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be set aside, then what about the one whom the father has set apart as his very own and sent into the world? That's me. Why do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I'm God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. And again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. So I have a question for you. Not rhetorical. Discussion time again. Why can religious people be so dangerous? Why can religious people be so dangerous? They think they have all the answers. Yep. Good. Why else? They've forgotten about people and see rules as more important. It's funny. The rules weren't made in God's image. They'll do anything to protect what they're holding dear. Yeah. They believe they have power behind them, and they do. <laughs> they do have power. Right? Jesus is outgunned here, outnumbered at least. Yep. So, yep. So to summarize what Lionel just said, he said that there's a conflict happening in the unseen places. And religion ends up being one of the pieces that those unseen forces use. He's saying that we, uh, we have an enemy who is a deceiver. And there is a way in which religion um, gets used by the enemy to deceive. And God, when God picks a fight... It in some ways exposes that there's more going on than simply what you can see between flesh and blood. Those are very important points. He says that he uh, quoted, I believe he quoted, or maybe it was just coming up in my head, that the God of this world has blinded the minds. Yet you will see elsewhere in scripture, he also deceives the elect as well. Why are religious people extra susceptible to religious lies? Yep. Why are religious people prone to hearing and believing and following lies of religion? There is an aspect of hearing God's voice that's very important, and Jesus draws that out in John 10, right? My sheep hear my voice. And you are not of my sheep, so you're not hearing what I'm saying. You're picking up what I'm laying down. That's going to be a crucial part of it. Yeah. Very good. Can you say that again, Sheldon? He says they won't follow a stranger, right? Yeah. Good. Could you look at verses 24 and 25, please? Jesus says, I told you. They say, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us. And he says, I did tell you. The works that I do in my Father's name are the proof, right? They're, they're what's speaking. They're speaking on my behalf. 
the religious people here don't seem to recognize the source of the very things that they saw and experienced right in front of them. They see that a blind man was healed, but they don't recognize what that means. They don't see the source and they don't see the meaning. The lenses that they have brought aren't helping. Look at verses 33 to 38. They're now on to picking up stones, and, and uh, they say, we're not stoning you for a good work, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. And Jesus replies, has it not been written in Scripture, quote, I said you are gods, end quote, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and Scripture cannot be nullified, are you saying of him whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world that you're blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. And then they continue to try to stone him in spite of the fact that he answered them with Scripture. Religious people can be blind to our... We, religious people, can be blind to our own Scriptures. And to the ways that God confirms them, because they continue to go through with it. Can we, can we digest for a moment that these Pharisees speak and act as though they are seeing what's actually happening and telling themselves that they are seeing what's actually happening while being blind to it. Jesus confronts them on that in the last verses of chapter 9. He says, you guys say that you see. You guys are telling yourselves that you understand what's going on. But the puzzle pieces aren't adding up and they end up stoning, trying to stone the very guy who's saying, I've got scripture, I've got good works, I've got God confirming this stuff, and, but you are telling yourselves a different story. Church people have a very hard time with the Pharisees because we tend not to identify with them. This was the holiest group in those days. If anyone in Jesus' time said, who, who are the ones closest to following the way that God wants us to go? They would hands down have said the Pharisees. So can each time that we read the Pharisees, can we please take a very honest look at ourselves and say, I am so prone to deception and I have to be very careful because they tell themselves they see in spite of what God's doing and in spite of what the word says. And then they pick up stones to come against the very next move of God. How do we make sure that in this story, we're inside the circle and not part of the circle? Understand my question? How do we make sure that in this story, we are with Jesus? and not 
on the outside. I, I want to give you a bit of listening time for that. No. I can do listening time later. Let's, let's choose not to make that a rhetorical question and see if we have answers. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts? How, how do we make sure that, that when this happens to us, um, do you notice the way that I said that? It will happen to us. Chapter 15, verse 20. Remember, this is Jesus speaking. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you as well. So this is going to happen to us. So knowing it's going to happen, how are we going to ensure that we're not part of that circle, we're inside it? Stay close to God. It's a good start. Abiding. We've talked about that a lot. Yeah. What else? I didn't write down any answers. So if you don't generate anywhere, I'm going to leave that between you and the Holy Spirit later. But yeah. So Marco just shared that there there needs to be times in the day where when something triggers us, we pause rather than simply reacting and take a moment to ask the Lord, what is this, what does this reveal about something that's wrong in me? And what are you going to identify so that I may move forward and not be opposing what it is that you are saying or doing? Did I paraphrase that okay? You gave me like a B minus look there. (laughs) (laughs) So you're locating the source of the problem and therefore the solution in, in how or whether or not people reflect on what's going on and process that with the Lord as they encounter something that's bringing something out in them as they're getting triggered. Yep, so they're tied to their beliefs, right? So they think they see, and because they think they see, they choose not to reflect further and instead dismiss the evidence that Jesus has given, which is both scripture and the ways that God is confirming what Jesus has said. Yep. Thanks, Marco. How are we going to make sure that we're inside the circle? Christina's saying that some of the... um, some of the lies that we believe end up being very, very deep down in us and things have been built up on them. And, and so when we, uh, when we get triggered, when we react to something without first taking a moment and saying, where I, where I started building up from could be incorrect. If we, don't, if we don't take a look at some of those foundational things, we are going to operate in deception. So the, the Pharisees' foundational thing was their particular interpretation of the scriptures. And they didn't take time to check out what, uh, to make sure that that foundational assumption was entirely correct, essentially built on the rock. And because they didn't build, build on the rock, God starts moving and picks a fight to, to expose the very foundations on which they have built their lives and their ministry and their hope. But if we, we aren't willing to question and, and let something that's pr- 
provocative, expose the deep stuff, you're going to be in trouble. Well done. Keep going. I want you to, I want you to chew on that question some more. How do we make sure that we're inside the circle? Because there are only two options. How did Jesus escape? Remember, they pick up stones to stone him. And this is, the, this is not the only time this happens in Scripture. How does Jesus escape this? Bible study time, interaction. How does Jesus escape? At the end of John 10. <laughs> we don't know. He escaped their grasp. Jiu-jitsu. <laughs> I simply want to point out one thing. He does not escape by beating them in an argument. That might be important later. I'd like to give you a moment and ask the Lord, Lord, in this, this time, what do I most need to dwell on, continue in conversation with you, change, etc.? Take a minute. Because you and I are religious people, we're prone to religious deception. Okay? You're not immune to this. Jesus says in Revelation 3 to the church at Laodicea, you don't realize your spiritual condition. You, church, are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. You don't realize you're blind. It's not that different than what Jesus tells the Pharisees. You say that you see. So I'm going to lead us, and I, I challenge you to a minute between you and the Lord Expose my blindness, heal my eyes. Let's pray. Lord, expose my blindness. I am prone to believing lies. They don't come to me as blatantly obvious. They come to me as things that look good and wise, holy and righteous, they come to me and they reinforce things that I want to tell myself about my image, about my value, about my idols that I don't call idols. But Lord, I, I pray for a humility for myself and for others that we would, we would invite you, I would invite you, in your gentleness, but being as thorough as needed to say, this is a blind spot and you need to come to me for healing. So like that church of Laodicea, would you, would you give that, that healing salve for our eyes that we would recognize truth from lies. We would recognize our need. We would recognize where it looked good and we were going that way because all of the things that we had clung to and told ourselves, the assumptions that we'd made about you, about the way the world works, 
weren't always built on the rock. And maybe we had one foot on the rock and one foot not. Not on the rock. Lord, would you point out the rock again and show us where our feet are that, that we would build properly? And Lord, I, I will claim that promise for our church. For that, because that same church that was blind and you were ready to spit them out of your mouth, you said, you repent. I'm going to be knocking and you're going to have such a deep relationship with me that, that it will be absolutely, it'll be heaven on earth. That just like, just like Revelation looks forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb, you, you get a marriage supper at, at your moment of recognition of blindness when you come to me for healing. Lord, would you do that in us? Would you do that in me? If that's what it takes to get there, sign me up because you are worth it. Lord, would you guide us? I thank you for the hope that your scriptures offer. I thank you so much for the work of Jesus. I, I thank you that, that there is always more. He gives more grace and we receive it today in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you, friends. Thanks for being here. Would you please do your part and make this place better than we left it? Um, I even noticed this morning there was like some crumbs around the tables and we clearly didn't eat, but hey, why not grab a broom and help out? Would you make sure the bathrooms are better than we left them? Please help with the chairs, get them put back, and please continue to make others feel welcome here. If the word kneecap or kneecaps um, triggers something for you and you would like some prayer, want to chat more, please come talk to me. Be happy to do that. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Have a wonderful week, friends. Thanks for being here.